I will be reading Jonah 1:17 through 2:10. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he, I'm so sorry, and he answered me. I cried out, I cried out for his help from deep inside Sheol, who heard, you heard my voice. When you threw me into the depths, into the sea, into the heart of the seas, the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me, and I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates were shut behind me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. As I lived, as my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Thank you, Melanie. You can have a seat. Uh, we started last week looking through the short series through um, a book describing one of the prophets of the Lord in the Old Testament times, Jonah. And last week we looked at the first chapter. And, and just this whole series, it's going to touch on this idea of we're seeing a story here, and my hope is that every one of us can recognize some of our own story in the midst of the story of this man Jonah and those he had interaction with. If you didn't get to hear, or if you weren't here last week, feel free to find it on the podcast. You can find uh, the video or audio for that. But we looked last week and saw this man Jonah had been given a call by God to go to his land in Nineveh and preach, and we had a runner. Some of you with little, little kids, um, I, I don't laugh, but I kind of do actually because my kids aren't at that age. But I, when I sometimes I see you put them down, boom, they're off. They're like a runner. Some of you got those and your eyes always got it. Jonah was a runner. He heard, the God, he heard the Lord's word and he just took off in the opposite direction. And, you know, eventually he found himself on a boat, a whole lot of judgment going on and thrown off this boat. And that's where we found ourselves at the end of last week. And there was, if you remember, there was a lot of movement and action, a lot of like physical movement, Jonah running, getting away, a lot of action happening on his boat. And it's a little bit in contrast to the passage we just heard read today, where it's a little bit more stable. I mean, stuff's going on, but it, it doesn't seem as active, but I don't want to distract you from the idea, even though it might not feel like a lot's going on, we are in a story of a rescue. You are stepping into God's rescue story. And I love movies. And I don't, I, I don't think you, that's a surprise because you're like, man, you use a lot of movie illustrations. Do you like pray at all? You seem to watch a lot of movies. It's all for sermons, right? I gotta, gotta keep up. Um, but yo, you can put like any kind of movie in front of me and I'm pretty entertained, but I love action rescue movies. Like there's just something in me. I just love it. Um, and my favorite, I mean, I like like the Liam Neeson types. I think that's all his movies, right? Just him, right? But I particularly like when a team comes together on a rescue mission. And I'm thinking example like Avengers Endgame. And 
yeah, if you haven't seen it by now, you're going to not watch it. But I'm still, I'm still nice. I'm not going to do spoilers. But I, I love like this idea that this team has to go on this mission to rescue some of their other team. And that one scene, I love slow motion, kind of like, like they all just walk in, you know, in their cool Avengers outfits, just walk in. Even, even Fat Thor looking good, right? Just walk in. And then what did they come to? Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Whatever. Yeah, you're like, yeah! I mean, we haven't even gotten in a movie yet, but you're like, yeah! And, and I think when we look at the idea of Jonah's rescue, um, it's a story that encapsulates that idea that God, when God rescues, it's really like whatever it takes. It goes in ways that you might not even be expecting that that's how God would work, but whatever it takes to rescue even the most rebellious from among us. Because God uses unusual means to rescue Jonah. If you are new to the scriptures, new to this whole Jesus thing, and if you're, this is like the first time you're ever reading the Bible, and you're like, is this like every, like, does a different animal come in every person? This is weird. This is not normal, but it's whatever it takes. And my hope is that for all of you here, that you would recognize your own story within the story, whether you think about how you have been rescued, maybe you thinking about how you in the process of being rescued, or maybe, maybe for some of you, your need to be rescued, that you would hear your story in the midst of this larger story. So let me pray for us as we seek the Lord's guidance. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who is pursuing us. And I just, I haven't been able to get the thought out of my head after last week you patiently pursue after rebels. You love us dearly and you desire to rescue. So as we see that here today, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you give us the insight to be able to recognize what you might be saying to each one of us, even as we hear this one common story for all of us. So guide us through these pages of scripture that are so ancient, but so real right now here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So first, I want to dig into this idea, whatever it takes to see the need. When we look at the story, we see that God does whatever it takes to see the need. And whether he realized it or not fully, Jonah was a man in desperate need to be saved. Um, and God uses these circumstances to draw it out of him. Jonah was in some precarious situations. And we see at the end of chapter 1, and we purposely read the last verse, 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Chapter 2 starts, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. And if you just stopped there, and if you didn't know, if this is a new story to you, you would have, if someone asked you, so what do you think Jonah prayed at that point? You know, he just gotten thrown off this boat. Now he got swallowed by this big fish. And now he's praying to the Lord. Um, it would make sense if you would think, like think like Kevin Hart voice, right? Help, I'm in a fish's body. You know, like that, like that kind of like desperate, I need help. I got eaten by a big fish. You know, that would make total sense. That, that's what I'd be praying. Help, Lord. Um, you know, it, it makes sense that his prayer from the belly would be, help me, Lord. Get me out of the situation. Um, but as you read Jonah's prayer in this chapter, as, as we heard, right, you realize that's, that's not it at all. That's not what he's praying. This is not a prayer pleading to God to be rescued. 
It's a prayer of thanksgiving because he's already actually been rescued. Jonah's not asking to be saved. He's already been saved through the means of the fish. Uh, The fish wasn't the problem. The fish is actually what God used to rescue him from his real problem. Because Jonah, his real problem was the waters. He in some deep waters, literally. And, And as I was thinking on this, I was remembering, it's amazing how memories work, right? I couldn't have been more than like five years old, but I remember being out in the water and it was one with a little bit of a current. And I remember, I don't remember much detail, but I remember what I felt because I was sitting on one of those floaty tubes and I'm little, so I'm sure it wasn't as big and dire as it seemed in my mind at the time. Probably it was like 10 feet out. But in my mind, I felt like I was being dragged out into the depths of this water and that helpless feeling of, oh, I can't control what's going on here. Have you ever felt that? Like when you're in the water, it's a little scary. It's a little scary. Um, he, would, he was in the middle of the Mediterranean. It's scary. And you look around you, you don't see like a life house or anything. All you see is water and this boat that's saying, bye-bye, Jonah. That's all you might see. And he realized how dire his circumstances really were. And we see it in some of, some of his prayer. In verse 2, I called to the Lord in my distress. Later in that verse, I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol. And Sheol is a word that uh, connotes punishment, like deep, like sense of like hell almost. Like he's like facing it right now. In verse three, the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. Surfers would have had a great time, but not Jonah. He got no board. The water Verse five, the water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. He was in dire straits. And for Jonah to be rescued, he had to come to grips with the implications of his choices. Because if you remember last week, um, I mean, He was the one that offered himself up to the sailors. Yo, y'all got problems. You need to throw me over. So he he did that and he was ready to die. He was ready to face, you know, this is what I got to do. And when he said, throw me into the waters, he was saying, yo, send me to my death sentence. I am ready for that. But until he actually experienced the terrors of the water, he didn't realize what he was getting into. He didn't realize, oh, I got seaweed wrapped in my head. I actually don't want to die. I thought I was good. I, 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 this is scarier than I thought. I don't want this. He actually desperately wanted to live. He wanted to be rescued and he cried out to God. And the reality of his situation, it revealed his desperate need to be rescued. And what we see here, I believe it's an incident, uh, an instance of God's passive wrath and God's passive judgment. What I mean by that, and this, this might be controversial for some of y'all, depending on your background, but we believe the scriptures talk about a God of judgment, that every single one of us has to face account for the life we've lived as we stand before the Lord. One day, there is an active sense of God's judgment, and that's not popular to say in our day, but there is a need to be saved, because otherwise we experience the wrath of God. So God's wrath can be active, His judgment can be very purposeful. But what we mean by passive wrath and passive judgment 
It means that God was allowing Jonah to experience the consequences of what he wanted in life. So it's more passive. He wasn't saying, okay, here's what I'm going to give you. He's like, okay, you want the waters? Go ahead. You take the waters. And Jonah followed the path that he thought he wanted. And then he started to recognize some of the consequences that came with that. He's like, oh, water's going to come over my head. Oh, I'm going down deeper than I knew this water. Go. Oh, seaweed wrapped around. My oh, wow. And because we see all this descriptive language. And I guess you could say, you know, some of y'all poets in here, you could say, yeah, I think Jonah had a really poetic bent to him. He was just describing it in figurative language. Or maybe he like experienced this. Maybe like he was just giving an account of what he had actually experienced. And if we think about it, it says that he was in there for three days and three nights. But it also seems from the description that it's not like Jonah jumped into water and the whale or the fish was just like waiting there. Like, it seems like from the description, Jonah experienced like being in the water for a little while, starting to go down, starting to maybe he could uh, tread like some of you uh, Olympic polo desiring people, right? Like doing that for a little while. He's like, yeah, I can do that. And then realize, oh, I, 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 I can't do that for too long. And you start to go. It seems like he was in there for a while before God had him saved by this fish. Experiencing all of the different consequences and implications of going into the water. Because it doesn't seem that God had the fish swallow him right away. He let him have at what he wanted to do. And for Jonah to be saved, he needed to recognize for himself. No one else could really tell him. He needed to recognize for himself what it meant to be at the mercy of the waters. He thought, oh yeah, I can handle being thrown into the waters. He's like, oh yo, these waters are harsh. They're merciless. The judgment of the waters was much greater than he thought they would be. He didn't recognize that they would be that hard. In stark contrast, Jonah learned at the same time that God is abounding in mercy. As harsh as the waters were, as merciless as they were, it don't matter what your pedigree is when you get thrown into the Mediterranean. You going down. But God's mercy is abundant. Jonah came to learn that where his rebellion rightly deserved God's wrath and judgment. No one could say, oh God, you gave Jonah a raw deal. No, he absolutely deserved what he was getting. But God gives saving mercy instead when he didn't deserve it. Read some of, uh, listen to some of this from the same passages I read earlier. As he cried out, and he answered me, verse two. Later in verse two, you heard my voice. At verse six, then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. This God who had every right to say, ah, you wanted the waters, you go take care of yourself. He saved Jonah. He showed mercy upon mercy. Jonah didn't do anything to deserve rescuing, but God saves him. And he, but here's the thing. That's like, you, all of us can see that, right? Here's the thing I really want you to see here and go a little bit deeper. God didn't just save Jonah from harsh waters. That was like the base level. God saved Jonah from harsh waters. But remember last week, chapter one, right? Jonah, he wasn't just running from God's commands. He wasn't just saying, hey, I'm not gonna do what you want me to do, Lord. Rather, his rebellion demonstrated that at the core, Jonah was running from God's presence itself. 
It wasn't just that he didn't want to do what God told him. He's like, I don't want to be with you. I am going to go as far away as possible to be away from your presence. He didn't just disobey God's commands, but the tragedy was he didn't want God. He didn't want God. And God, in his providence, used the judgment of the waters to reveal Jonah's heart. He used the harshness, the passive wrath and judgment of the waters to help unveil, maybe pull, dig out some of the scales of Jonah's hardened heart to reveal what was going on in there. Look at what verse four said. And it says, I said, I have been banished from your sight. Jonah's recognizing here, it's not just I haven't done what God told me to do, but I am away from the presence of God. Like that's the deeper tragedy here. It's not just, oh, I'm doggy paddling, I'm going to, it's that I'm away from the very presence of God. And it's not God's fault, it's his. You know, I was reflecting back on chapter one in preparation for this and I noted that as much as God seemed to address Jonah, he gave him instruction, we don't see any indication in chapter one of Jonah re replying back. Maybe he did, but it seems like he didn't. He just kind of ignored him, just kind of ghosted him. We even see pagan sailors praying to God. Even the ones who didn't believe in God were actually praying to God. Help us, Lord, we didn't meet. He told us to do it. But the prophet of God didn't seem to want to have interaction with his Lord. Sad. It's like really sad. But here's the thing. The trials of the harsh waters did something to soften Jonah's heart. Getting thrown in there, having all the things he described happen to him, it revealed something and it softened his heart. Verse 7, it says, as my life was fading away, see this, I remembered the Lord. Isn't that amazing? It's not like, yeah, I had like a much, I had a deep prayer session with the Lord. I got in my prayer closet. I fasted for days. I saw, I made offerings. It was in the midst of this like trial that he remembered the Lord. Like that God will use some of our hardest things for the purpose of showing maybe where we're at and drawing our eyes back to God, remembering him. Because, and here's the thing I really want you to catch. Jonah didn't just need to be rescued from the waters. He needed to be rescued from himself. Ultimately, his problem wasn't the waters. The problem was his own hard, rebellious heart. Ultimately, Jonah's problem wasn't just drowning in the depths of the waters, but drowning in the sin of his rebellious heart. That was his biggest issue. And I think there's some stuff that some of us can learn from that. Because, yo, again, last week we referenced that Jonah was a prophet of God. From all accounts, a good one. He, I mean, when you referenced in other Bible books, you were a good prophet. And he was, right? He was a religious, moral man, as all prophets would be. I mean, at least until he booked out of town, right? That's, that's, a, that's a bad mark. But in all of his times of speaking on behalf of God to, to a sinful people, I'm going to guess Jonah probably didn't think he needed rescuing from his sins like the people he was preaching to. He probably thought, I'm the one that needs to tell them of God's wrath and how they can be saved. But I, I'm, I'm the mouthpiece of the Lord. He speaks through me. I'm his prophet. How many of you prophets? All right, Micah, Nahum, you got, but who else? I'm the prophet of the Lord. 
but God uses these very unusual circumstances, again, whatever it takes. And to be clear, they're a product of Jonah's own doing to show Jonah that he also needed to be saved. That rescue was not just from very dire circumstances outside of him, but from the rebellious rebellious condition of the heart within him. In the same way, you and I, we don't just need rescuing from quote unquote bad things we do. We need rescuing from the sinful heart of rebellion, even if we're the most straight-laced person in this room. And from Jonah's story of rescue, we learn that God is mighty to save. He will do whatever it takes for us to be changed. He will use the strangest circumstances. He will orchestrate even things that look like they are crushing us to reveal our heart and our need for him. And I want to look a little bit at that idea, whatever it takes to be changed. In this case, even through the unusual means of the big belly of a big fish, right? And like most of us, I presume, I don't want to assume anyone's background here. I'm going to guess. I'm not. Well, I'm going to guess. Most of us probably haven't had like, we can't see the story, hear it, and kind of come from understanding because we've been inside the belly of an animal or a fish. Like, we're just taking their word for it, right? We're like, well, okay. Um, But I can't imagine it was pleasant. I mean, I haven't experienced, but I can't imagine it was fun. Like the closest thing I think I've experienced was um, a long fishing trip with some buddies back when I was in college and like all day around smelly fish and then getting into a little car, like that's meant for like four people. But when you college, eight of us are in there for a car ride with the stink and the stench, the fish are in the trunk, but you smell all that, John, right? All the bait. We use chicken liver. So that just added to it, right? Smelling the dudes. I was like, yeah, I ain't been inside the belly of a fish, but this might seem pretty, pretty close because this is nasty. This is gross. I, I dry heave right now thinking about it, right? It's like the memories are that strong. Um, but as nasty as I got to assume it was for Jonah, what does God do? He keeps him in there for three days and three nights. God keeps Jonah in the fish. And it begs the question, Why did God keep him in there for three days if he's rescuing him? That doesn't seem very nice. And and to make very clear, Jonah's already saved. I I want you to, Jonah, he's praying with a posture of thanksgiving because he's praying like, I'm saved. When God rescued him from the waters through the means of this fish, he had given him salvation, but he was also giving him some time to work it out. He was giving him some time to process what that looked like. It wasn't, oh, you know, and spit you out. Okay, you good. He's like, take some time. Sit in there, in that nasty stench, in that dark. I'm guessing it was pretty uncomfortable. I don't even know how it worked with digestive juices starting to, yeah, I don't even, nightmare feel, right? I don't even want to go there. But imagine you're inside of this fish. It's dark. It's quiet. I'm just kind of a experiential person. So I actually went into the darkest room in my house I could for like, to just see how it felt like. I had to run out of there because I got like all claustrophobic. But like, imagine that for three days, three nights, you're probably not sleeping much. Probably stink. He don't got the benefit of these wonderful face masks to cover his nose. It's like he's in there. It's dark and it's quiet. There's a lot of time to reflect on life. 
and the path of Jonah's salvation, it started in the depths of the water and being rescued, but I believe that we really see it fleshed out in these three days. The dark belly of a fish became a sanctuary of worship for Jonah. The dark belly of this fish became a house of worship for Jonah. And we see the description of his worship in verse 7. And my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. There's repentance going on here. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. He doesn't have anything to give, but he has his voice. He can sing. He can give thanks. He's worshiping God. He's repenting of sin. He's recognizing the futility of idol worship when you've got the living God, a God who can save you when you're in the middle of the waters using a big fish. This is a God that no other false gods can do what he can do. And he's acknowledging that. He's worshiping that in that sanctuary of the fish. I will fulfill what I have vowed. He makes a commitment, just like we do at the end of our worship. So what are you going to do with this now? How are you going to respond? Jonah responds here. He's like, yes, I've been rebellious. Yes, I've gone against your ways. But Lord, you have shown me your goodness. Now I will do what I have vowed to do. I will be your mouthpiece. And we see next week. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Point being, a sanctuary isn't just a fancy room with stained glass. A sanctuary isn't just a fancy room with stained glass. And I, yo, I love stained glass in this room. I was never a big fan of it growing up because it just gave me like, I got scared, honestly. It looked a little creepy, right? Little floating angels with big heads and baby angels. It's like some freaky nightmare fuel stuff, but I love it now. I love it. It's glorious. But I, our, our point is you guys have really have to fight against the inclination thinking that this is the only place that you worship. That this is what, and we call this a sanctuary appropriately, but when you know who you are in Christ before God, every place is a place of worship. Every place can become a sanctuary. Even the darkest, dingiest, hardest places in life can be a place where you encounter the living God. It doesn't just have to be when you have an epic music team, when you've got all of these trappings around you, when you've got all the structure and systems, as great as that is, and I love when we gather together and worship, but I want you guys to know when you know who God is, you can be anywhere and even in the hardest places of life and know that God can lead you to worship. And this is, I think it's important for us because we're a society that wants answers immediately to everything. Thanks, Google, right? It's like we expect that if we've got a problem, there's a solution ready waiting for us. But at least for me and most of the people I talk to, working out your salvation will take time and it will maybe be in ways that you wouldn't necessarily expect. And for some of you, if you're new to the Christian faith or you're exploring, I'm just putting that out here right now for you. Don't expect that everything is going to change in a moment forever in every aspect of life. In some sense, boom, in a twinkling of an eye, you can go from death to life in Christ. We believe that, but the working out of that salvation, it might take you your whole darn life. Working out the implications of knowing the great depths of God's love and how it impacts it. You're not going to figure that out in a weekend retreat. You're definitely not going to figure that out in a one-hour worship gathering here. You might get glimpses that move you along the path, but working it out will often take place in those different sanctuaries of your life. And I guess I want to just put that out for you, give you an invitation to consider that some of the best work that God is inviting you into 
will be done in unusual spaces. They might be dark. They might be quiet. They might be kind of like spaces of your soul that you don't really like engaging in because it brings out some hard issues. Maybe we can describe it. It's kind of like that Saturday season. If we think about the Easter weekend, you know, we love Good Friday because we think about the, the death and sacrifice of Jesus. We love Sunday because that's the victory and that's the resurrection. Saturday, we just don't know what to do with, especially in America. We're like, I guess we just sit there. Are we allowed to go for brunch or not? I mean, is that like, it's like ambiguous, right? Like it's just waiting. It's like, I think God has done something, but it just seems kind of quiet. And I think we need to recognize this. I would suggest the life we live on this earth, it's meant to be th thought of in like a Saturday posture. Because we love to glorify the Sunday. It's true. We, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, but we don't see the fullness of that till we're one day in glory. While we're on this earth, if you ever struggle with, why does it feel so hard? Why am I struggling so much? Why do I have so much doubt? Why is there so much pain? Why is there so much illness? Why is there so much destruction? Why is my mind playing tricks on me? Why of all these things, why are people so stinky? I'm trying to use not bad words, right? Um, it's because we're in Saturday. We're like in the belly of that fish. And God's often given us the time to sit and wait in that dark, in that quiet, in often that uncomfortable so that we might worship him in ways that we might not when it's like fully comfortable. I'll be real for, for, my, for my own life and just I mean, some of you guys know for the past couple of years, I love being here, but for me, a hospital room was a big sanctuary for much of the past couple of years. I didn't want to be there. I felt constrained. I mean, some of y'all doctors, I'll need to make your places a little more comfortable. It's not very comfortable. I need like a pillow top on top of that like couch there. But what I did have was a lot of quiet, a lot of dark, a lot of wrestling, a lot of engaging with my emotions, a lot of even shaking my fist at God sometimes, saying, God, haven't I been faithful? What the heck is going on here? And it's hard to know in the moment, but I look back now, I'm like, oh, wow. Those were moments of worship. I grew as close to God in those moments sitting in a hospital room than I ever have in a class in seminary. Because I saw God in ways that I had never understood before. And I saw myself in ways I didn't think I needed to know. And when we are going through some of that dark Guys, don't shy away from it automatically. Don't automatically think you've done something wrong. Don't automatically go to the place where this might be an aberration from God. Think maybe this is God giving you some time to engage and worship in, in ways you normally wouldn't in the ways that we have set up in our life where we cope about everything. Sometimes it's just meant to be a little awkward and we sit in it. A sanctuary, again, isn't just a fancy room with stained glass. It will often look like cramped, uncomfortable, dark spaces. But whatever it takes, whatever it takes. And I, 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 I just, for a moment, I think there are some implica implications for our, our mission in our church and our community here. Because in some ways, um, if we think about like the whale eating, or the, I keep saying whale, it's like all oh, the Sunday school when I was a kid, right? That big fish, like eating Jonah. 
we, like that was a rescue and God definitely rescued him. And sometimes maybe we can think of it for some people, that's like what we do here on a big scale. Like for some people, they've experienced God's rescue on a big, powerful, emotive kind of experience. Like they clearly heard this God loves you so much. Follow him, lay down your idols and follow him instead. And your life is transformed and you can point to a moment. But I would suggest again, a lot of the work happens outside of this whale moment. It's in spaces like your friend's living room as you weep together. Maybe it's in the midst of your community group where you share some stuff that you didn't know if you're allowed to share. That's been such areas of pain. Maybe it's inviting your neighbor over and they don't know Jesus. And you just start to ask God for eyes to recognize how hard must it be to live this life without Jesus? When is this hard for me as someone who follows Jesus? And you just spend time together hearing about how hard life might be. My point being, guys, um, the community that we share, it's like those three days sitting in the belly. The community, the love, the, the brotherhood and sisterhood, the family that we share with one another, in many ways, that's like those three days of belly occupying sanctuary worship time. And here's the thing, Jonah didn't have anyone else. So he was just on his own. You and I have the privilege, we got other people to sit in those belly worshiping times. And, may, and you know, every person's gotta go through their own stuff. You cannot bear someone's burdens fully, but we can carry each other's burdens as much as we're able to. And my, my prayer for our church guys is every person has to do an account of their life before the Lord. But my hope is that if we are aware of it, we might not let a single person go through that on their own. Like if we know someone is in the middle of that Saturday moment, someone is sitting in the belly of that fish, we know that they know the Lord, but they're working it out. It's real hard. We're not going to say, well, you go through it alone. We're going to say, in my power, I'm going to walk with you. It's dark. It's dingy, but you are not going to be there by yourself. I'm going to bring a flashlight. I'm going to do whatever I can. And we're going to get through this together. You will not be alone in this. Both within our church context but guys, this is where the church cannot be constrained to just one room or one meeting a week. We've got to go forth in the power of God amongst one another, but also amongst our neighbors, amongst the people we work with, amongst people in our city, people who don't know God. One of the best ways we're going to walk with them is through some of those hard times and committing. No one does that alone. Do what you can so others even as they're in that space normally, they will not have to do it alone. So when I preach or prepare to preach, sometimes certain verses just stand out and I just stand with it for a while. But this one from this passage, verse two, I called to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol. You heard my voice. And here's the thought I couldn't just get out of my head. It's like, have you ever tried to cry out when you're underwater? I hope you didn't because that's not gonna turn out good for you. You can't. I mean, in Jonah's mind, he was crying out, but he didn't have a voice to cry out with. And I think the image that I got is some of us are right there right now. Like we don't feel like we have a voice to cry out to God, but you are going through it. 
and you're burdened and you feel like if I'm not crying out in a way I need to, if I'm not expressing myself, maybe if I'm not praying in a way that I feel God will listen to me, is anyone going to hear? And what I felt like from this passage was such hope. Even if we don't have the words, even if we don't have the fancy prayers, even if we don't have all the trappings, God hears us. God knows us. God knew his man who was crying out even if he was going underwater and didn't have an actual physical voice to cry out. God sees, God hears, God knows, and God will rescue. And if some of you are there right now in life and you are feeling hopeless, you are feeling maybe you have exhausted every chance. You are like Jonah 10 times over. There's no way God would take me back. There's no way other people would take me back. Can I give you the hope that God loves to show mercy? And he will hear your cries, even if they are not audible cries, even if they're like as faint as help. Even if no one else hears, God can hear. Because it's not about how loud you cry out, but it's who you are crying out to that matters. It's not about how loud your cries are, but who are you crying out to? Because this God makes a way when there is no way whatever it takes. Because as Jonah closed his prayer, salvation belongs to the Lord. Whatever it takes, even a fish, whatever it takes, even the death of the God-man Jesus on a cross and flexing on death and rising from the grave and strolling out of that tomb, walking alive out of a grave, salvation belongs to this Lord. So I wanna invite you, if you do not know God, if you feel like there's no way he would take me, there's one condition. You say, I need a hero and his name is Jesus. Whatever it takes, and we know Jesus did whatever it took to the extent of the sacrifice of his own life and death to conquer sin, death, and grave and flex out of there because power and salvation belongs to him. Cry out to him today and be saved by the one who has the power to rescue. Amen? I'm going to invite our worship team up, and I'm going to ask the rest of us to stand up as we do that right now, as we go into a few moments to respond. Again, I think response is important here. And we have the table where we recognize this Jesus Christ, and we do this weekly, because if you're like me, you leak, you forget. It's only seven days, but it's amazing how much I can forget about the goodness of God. We are called to remember regularly, and that's why we come to the table and remember the sacrificial body of Jesus and his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. But I'm going to ask you, before you do that, don't come up right away, but take a moment and ask yourself, where am I at in my need to be rescued? Are you a Christian who has, you know for sure, yes, God has rescued me, but maybe you're working it out right now. And maybe you haven't given enough time or energy, or maybe you haven't seen some of those darker belly moments as an invitation from God. Can you commit this day, say, Lord, help me to see you through those times? What might be you speaking to me when it's not glitzy and loud, but it's that quietness of those dark in the fish moments? Because I, I guarantee you, God is inviting you to worship him in that. Maybe you're here and you're, you're not a Christian or you're not sure what that means. Can I invite you to say, in some sense, the Christian message is complex, but in other ways, it's really simple. It's saying, I need to be rescued. I can't fix myself. I can't save myself. And God in his mercy will often allow you to live out the consequences of your actions to try to make yourself a better person to make your life complete. Maybe you've hit the end of the rope for that. And God is showing you, now come back to me. 
come back to me. I would invite you, maybe today is the first day you receive communion saying, I want to trust in this Jesus who has the power to give me life in my death. And if that's you, we would love to talk with you, talk with someone you came with. But wherever you're at in your, in your journey, let's be invited to come to the Lord in this way. Let me pray for us. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord. Lord, so many of us are desperate, drowning right now, and we've tried to just float, tried to tread water, tried to find different life preservers, and they just got holes in them. And Lord, I believe you're inviting some of us in that place to come to the one who truly has the power to rescue us. Lord, forgive us that we are people prone to wanting to fix ourselves. We lay that down as false idol worship, and we worship the living God alone. So help us as we sing, as we respond through this table, to come into your presence knowing this fierce God who will do whatever it takes to give us life and rescue. So help us, Lord. So I invite you to pray, sing. You can come up the middle aisles, grab, a, grab one of the elements, and take it back to your seat around the back aisles, and we'll take it all together after the singing.